National Archives podcast series, Exploding the Mysteries of the Bomb Census, presented by Michael Prid. The Second World War bombing devastated communities and lives across the United Kingdom. It affected all kinds of buildings, from important and be- beautiful cathedrals to ordinary houses like these, and it also affected all kinds of people. So, some statistics. The first air raid was in May 1940 and the last in March 1945. The two heaviest periods were from the autumn of 1940 down to the spring of 1941, which was popularly called the Blitz, and then the whole year of 1944. There were 354 attacks on London in that time, that's raids, not individual bombs, and over a thousand raids on other towns and cities, especially on ports like Liverpool, Dover and Hull. About 99,000 tons of bombs were dropped altogether. So 61,000 civilians were killed and 86,000 others were seriously injured. Bahoming destroyed a lot of government records of historical value, most notoriously many First World War Army service records. The picture on the screen shows some of the damage caused to the Ordnance Survey Building in Southampton in November 1940. I need to make a distinction between piloted raids and pilotless raids. This is important because many of the records are split up into separate groups for piloted raids, V1 raids and V2 raids. Piloted raids, as you might expect, refers to bombs dropped from aeroplanes. These affected places all over the country. Most of them took place before the spring of 1944, although there were a few later ones. There were various different types of bombs, but the most common distinction made in the records is between high explosive bombs, which were designed to cause big explosions, and incendiary bombs, which were designed to start fires. Pilotless raids refers to the VE weapons fired from continental Europe onto the southeast of England. V1 raids started in June 1944 and V2 raids in the September, and both those types of raids continued until March 1945. The V1s were flying bombs, and they were commonly nicknamed flies, divers, or doodlebugs. The V2s were long-range rockets. Sometimes they were called Big Bens. Ben, in this case, is an acronym standing for Bomb with Explosive Nose. The aim of the bombing was to impede the British war effort, partly by disrupting manufacturing, utilities, communications, and transport, and partly by lowering public morale. The main source I'm going to talk about this afternoon is the Bomb Census Survey carried out by the Ministry of Home Security's Research and Experiments Department. The Ministry of Home Security was established for the duration of the war to coordinate civil defence. The overlap between this and the functions of so many other central and local government bodies led to it being nicknamed the Ministry of Some Obscurity. The Ministry started the bomb census because it needed to know when and where air raids took place and what kinds of damage they were causing, particularly to vital services like food supplies, water, gas and electricity, and munitions factories. In the short term, this information would help the government keep the country running and respond to raids more effectively, and in the long term it would allow planning for post-war reconstruction. Most of the raw data was collected locally by air raid wardens. The Ministry's role was to collate it and analyse it, help with more detailed investigations where necessary, and report the results back to the rest of central government and to local authorities. 
The survey began in London, Birmingham and Liverpool in September 1940 and spread out to the rest of the country over the course of the following year. There are three main sets of records from the survey that you can see here at the National Archives. The BC4 forms contain basic information on each bomb that was seen or reported. These forms are in record series H0198. There are two types of maps, both in series H0193. There are printed maps with bomb locations drawn on by hands, and there are outline maps on tracing paper which were intended to be placed on top of the printed maps. For some incidents, there are also air raid damage files in series H0192. These supply more detail on the effects of particular bombs and usually include at least one plan and several photographs. Other records that aren't part of the bomb sensors proper also contain information about uh, bombing incidents, and I'll mention some of these a bit later on. At this point, I should mention some of the difficulties involved in using these records. Firstly, they're not completely comprehensive because coverage of raids outside London was selective until September 1941. Also, the later records tend to be a bit more detailed than the earlier ones. It can be tricky to find exactly what you want because the records are arranged in a complicated and rather inconsistent way. For instance, sometimes we have a printed map but no tracing, sometimes we have a tracing but no printed map, sometimes we have both stored together and sometimes we have both stored separately. The descriptions of the records in the online catalogue are also very brief. Sometimes you need to look at an index map to work out which document you want as well. Some of the records are listed with abbreviations and can be quite hard to understand, and many of them are quite fragile and in poor condition, so please do handle them very carefully. This bundle, for instance, is made of cheap wartime tracing paper which has gone brown and brittle with age. For civil defence purposes, the country was divided into 12 numbered regions. For instance, London region, which corresponded to the Metropolitan Police District, was number 5. The BC4 forms are divided up by these regions in the records. Up until the end of 1942, the London ones are further split up into these numbered groups. From 1943, the forms for the whole region are filed together in one sequence, although the group numbers do still appear on the forms. When looking for a BC4 form, I find it's normally more effective to browse the catalogue rather than doing a search. So if I want the form for uh, an incident in London on the 20th of January 1943, I will browse through until I find piloted raids for Region 5 and the right date range. Alternatively, you can browse through the paper series list in the Map and Large Document Reading Room. In this case, the document reference is H0198-18. Within the file, the BC4 forms are arranged partly by place and partly by date. This form is for a bomb that struck Sandhurst Road School in Catford in South East London. It's worth mentioning that there were at least three different designs for the BC4 form, so the layout of the information on it can vary quite a bit. There were eight separate bombs that fell in the borough of Lewisham on the 20th of January. They were numbered in order of reporting. The red time marked on the form means when the air raid warning sounded. In this case, there wasn't one, as you can see at the bottom of the screen. The white alert, or all clear, was sounded at tw 12 minutes past one. The bomb was probably a 500 kilo high explosive bomb, though there was so much debris that this was an educated guess based on the amount and type of damage caused. 
The form also outlines the damage that was caused to the school building. And often, the form notes the number of casualties for each bomb. But in this case, as is also fairly common, there is only a combined total for all of the Lewisham incidents on that day. Although in this case, nearly all of the 53 deaths and 87 serious injuries were actually from this school bomb. The descriptions in the online catalogue for the maps in series HO193 are rather vague. To find bomb damage maps for London, you need to use the index map for the special military grid that the maps are based on, and then you ch can check the sheet numbers against the list in the paper catalogue, because in this case the paper catalogue is more detailed than the online catalogue. So if I order HO193-31, I will get a folder of maps, including this one. And in this case, there are printed maps, but there aren't any tracings. Now, please don't worry if that doesn't make complete sense, because it's much easier to do than to describe. The other records only cover selected incidents in detail, so you might not find the one that you want. But it's worth trying both keyword searching and browsing just to check. When you're searching, try using the name of the borough or the district. So for my incident, I would try Lewisham, not Catford. Series HO192 includes a variety of file types, but the air raid damage files tend to be the most useful ones. HO202 and HO203 consist of high-level summary reports for government use. HO201 contains summary information about damage to key points, such as utilities and certain types of factories. And other record series where I've found some interesting documents include HO186, HO199, and HO207. Air raid damage files normally include the results of a thorough investigation into the effects of the bomb. So in this case, the authorities have worked out exactly where the bomb fell within the school. There's a lot of detail about the damage to the structure of the building. It gives more details of deaths and injuries. And surprisingly, it suggests that if there had been an air raid warning and the children had gone into the school's shelter, there would actually have been more casualties and not fewer. The plans and photographs in the files often explain the effects of bombing far more clearly than words. This part of the ground floor plan shows where three teachers were killed. The plans also usually show the angles that the photos were taken from, which can be quite useful. Being aware of how different kinds of structural damage were caused helped government efforts to improve air raid precautions and reduce the number of casualties. Sometimes, special circumstances led to additional records being made and kept. This file tells us that there were many complaints about newspaper reports on the Sandhurst Road incident being intrusive and exploiting the grief of the victims' families. I'll talk a little bit more about newspapers in a moment. Moving on to other sources. Many local record offices also hold records about Second World War bombing. These vary a lot from place to place, but you could find incident registers, air raid warden's logbooks, reports on particular incidents, and maps produced by local authorities. As well as records specifically about bombing, you could also try looking in council minutes, photographic collections, and local newspapers. Local archives may also hold records of businesses or of individuals affected by bombing. When you're searching the Access to Archives database or our local record office's own catalogue, it's worth trying various different keywords. The records might be described as being about civil defence or air raids rather than about bombs or bombing, so it's worth trying all of those different words. Usually, bombing incidents will be mentioned in local newspapers, and major incidents like ours may be mentioned in national newspapers. 
but press reports will be vague about where the incident took place. In this case, reports in the Times say that a London County Council school was hit. We only know that it's Sandhurst Road School because the details and date match what we already knew about the incident. As you might expect, the Imperial War Museum holds a lot of information about Second World War bombing, especially artwork, photographs and uh, private papers like personal diaries. And it's well worth having a look on the um, collections section of the Imperial War Museum's websites to see the kind of thing that they hold. If you're lucky, you may find that someone has already done your research for you. It's always worth trying to find out whether any books or pamphlets have been written about the wartime experiences of the place you're interested in. A very useful book is this facsimile of the London County Council's bomb damage maps, which are now held at London Metropolitan Archives. A copy of this book is available upstairs in the Map and Large Document Reading Room. Sometimes you can also find information just from an internet search. For instance, this is the West End at War website created by the City of Westminster Archives Centre. And this is the Northeast Diary website, which gives a very detailed account of what happened in the northeast of England during the war. For many people, a disappointing aspect of the bomb census records is that they don't list the names of casualties. Unfortunately, lists of people who were injured but survived rarely exist among other records either. I think I've seen one somewhere once. The easiest way to find out about people who were killed by bombing is to search the database on the Commonwealth War Graves Commission website, because this lists civilians as well as servicemen and women. There is also a printed listing which is available in the oversized section of our reference library, right, right at the far end of this floor. Many local archives hold transcribed lists of civilian war dead, and some researchers have put um, similar lists on the, the her own websites. This is just to show you the Commonwealth War Graves Commission's database. It's fully searchable by name, and to some extent it's searchable by place as well. The first of my three case studies is really about a person. The image on screen is part of the Dictionary of National Biographies entry for Kenrick Reginald Hymans Johnson. Ken was born in the British colony of Guyana in 1914, and he ca came to Britain aged 15 to get a better education. His parents hoped that he would become a doctor, but Ken himself was more interested in jazz and swing music and became a dance band leader, nicknamed Sn Snake Hips. His band was much in demand and played at leading venues in central London. Aged 26 and at the height of his career, he was killed when a bomb hit the Café de Paris in Piccadilly on Saturday the 8th of March 1941. And here just to show you is his entry on the Commonwealth War Graves Commission website. Ken's story is told briefly on the West End at War website, and I thought it would be interesting to see what else I could find out about the incident. So, I started with the um, report in the Mohande Mornings Times newspaper. The tone of this report is largely upbeat, concentrating on the bravery shown by its um, survivors and rescuers at an unnamed restaurant. 
it makes much of the fact that all of the cabaret dancers survived unharmed. Not until a month later did a small article appear naming the Café de Paris and hinting at the full extent of the casualties. Each of these three maps comes from a different archive. The one on the left comes from our bomb sensors survey, and it does have this tracing with it. The, the one numbered five here is the Café de Paris bomb. The map from Westminster City Archives in the top corner looks quite different, but it also shows individual incidents. The map in the bottom corner, which is held at the London Metropolitan Archives, is rather different. Instead of plotting where the bombs fell, it shows the amount of damage caused to buildings. The pink colouring here means that the Café de Paris was very badly damaged, but it wasn't completely destroyed. It describes how the bomb fell just before 10 in the evening. The time is up here. And it's brought down the um, ceiling of the basement restaurants. That's the, the uh, description says at the bottom here. It left 34 people dead, and at the time, an unknown number of people were injured. These documents will show you how the incident was recorded elsewhere. At Westminster City Archives, you can see the air raid warden's log, the Civil Defence Daily Situation Report, and the report to the uh, City Council's Emergency Committee. At the Hunton Metropolitan Archives, you can see the reporting at county level, and here is the summary report to central government. Looking at all of these collectively, they show that this was the worst incident of a very heavy night of bombing. A file at London Metropolitan Archives reveals that a complaint was made that too many ambulances were sent to minor incidents on the same night, leaving too few left to attend the Café de Paris incident. The ambulance service rejected the, the complaint as unfounded, and I think they were quite right. I got the sense from reading this file that the complainer was a self-important busybody, but that's just my interpretation. Surprisingly, we don't have an air raid damage file on this incident, and I haven't been able to find any photographs in any other archives. The photograph on screen here comes from a book on the history of the Café de Paris and was taken when repair work after the bombing was already well underway. What we do hold is this um, very detailed plan of the café, annotated to show some of the effects of the bomb. For instance, it mentions at the bottom here, a door blown off its hinges, and here at the top, it mentions where um, six bodies were found sitting at a table looking virtually untouched. A, a note in the margin of the plan mentions that Ken was among the dead. We think he was one of the two band members killed by fr fragments that are mentioned here, here at the bottom of the screen. An even sadder record is this letter from Ken's widowed mother in Gurhayana that I found in a colonial office welfare department file. She writes, I am sure you can enter in my position in regards of having to write such sad letters about my dearly beloved son. Truly, with Ken's passing, it seems as if the last bit of light has gone out of my life. My second case study 
is the devastating raid on Bath over two nights in April 1942. I haven't had a chance to go to Bath Record Office for this one, so in this case I've um, stuck to information that I could find here. But I'm told that there are some very interesting records held locally as well, and you can even buy copies of their bomb damage maps on CD. The bombing of Bath was one of a sequence of air raids on historic English cities in 1942 that were nicknamed the Eidecker Raids after the famous guidebooks. These raids were the Germans' revenge against the British air raid on their historic city of Lübeck. The records show that more than 400 people were killed over the two nights and about 20,000 buildings were damaged. Over 200 bombs were dropped, but we'll never know the exact number because, as this record states, one of the first buildings to be hit was the civil defence headquarters, and much of the information had to be gathered retrospectively because the organisation was rather adversely affected, especially over the first night of bombing. Finding maps for places outside London is easier than for the London ones because they're listed by place name, not by sheet number. Though, you do need to look in the paper series list at the moment and not, not in the online catalogue. For some places, we don't actually hold any maps, but in this case, we have a, a very good one. And you can see from the number of lines and dots on it how heavy the raid was. Zooming in, these are the two of the bombs that I want to concentrate on today. One that struck a hotel and one that struck the gasworks, which is this asterisk down here. As the gasworks was a vital utility, damage to it is mentioned in several different records. The plans and photographs in the air raid damage file show in great detail what the damage was and how it was caused. In this drawing, you can see exactly where the fragments hit and, and passed through one of the gas holders. And I'll just show you here what it looked like inside. I've never actually seen the inside of a gas holder, but I imagine they're not supposed to look quite like that. <laughs> the records do also suggest that this was um, repaired ver very quickly afterwards. In contrast to the amount of information that you can see about the gas works, the only Ministry of Home Security record mentioning the Regina Hotel is the BC4 form. But I did also find it listed in the Ministry of Works file about damage to her historic buildings in Bath. The A here means that it was classed as being so badly damaged that it was beyond, beyond repair, so it was virtually completely destroyed. This article from the Daily Mirror includes a more personal anecdote about a lady who was trapped in the rubble for 10 hours after the hotel was bombed. One of the men who helped to rescue her was called James Adamson Leslie. And I know this because he is mentioned in a file about Admiralty civil servants who were also members of the Home Guard in Bath. Leslie's boss recommended him, him and his colleagues for gallantry awards because of what they did over the two nights of the Bath bombing. But doubts were raised about whether they had been on duty as home guards and therefore entitled to military honours, or off duty and therefore entitled to civilian honours, which is why we have this file. It was eventually determined that some of them, including Leslie, should be awarded the George Medal, which, if I've understood correctly, is mainly a civilian award, but it was awarded to service personnel during the war as, <laughs> as well. And here 
is the announcement of his award in the London Gazette. My final example is about a V1 bomb that was intended for the Royal Small Arms Factory in Enfield, one of the outer suburbs of North London. But instead of the factory, it actually hit the nearby infant and junior schools in Ch Ch Chesterfield Road. The People's War section on the BBC website includes many personal stories about bombing. One of them is from a former pupil who had stayed home from um, th this particular school, feigning illness on the day that the bomb fell. He writes... The noise was horrendous, and then suddenly it stopped, and the flying bomb carried on down Beaconsfield Road and then dropped out of sight behind the rooftops. A loud bang followed. The Air Raid Warden's logbook, held at the London Metropolitan Archives, tells us that the bomb fell on the 27th of June, 1944, just after midday. Some information about its effects were sent through to the, the, uh, the authorities during the afternoon, but there's really very little detail. The BC4 form, held here, contains very similar information to the logbook. The school sustained a direct hit, and flying debris damaged many buildings nearby. Three people died, and another 35 were injured. For most V1 incidents, including this one, uh, tracing of the map is actually filed with the form. But it's much easier to see the exact location on the painted bomb census map, especially if I put the tracing on top of it. Another bomb damage map held at Enfield's local studies library and archive shows it even more clearly, as you can see in the top corner. There is no air raid damage filed for this incident, so to find out more, I delved into other records that, that are held locally in Enfield. The, the IST article from the local newspaper, the Enfield Gazette, reveals that the three fatalities were two passing soldiers and one of the teachers. Most of the children had just gone home for lunch, and those, that, those left behind all made it to the shelters in time and escaped unharmed. The teacher who died was called... Elsie Parnell, and she is named in various sources. Here, the local education committee records its sympathy for her family. This is her entry on the Commonwealth War Graves Commission wa website, and this is a brief account of her funeral in the local paper. This is the school logbook, which was kept by the headmaster. Legend has it that this was pulled out of the wreck of his study after the bomb, and from the look of it, I can definitely believe that. These are the last few entries from the days before the bomb fell, and the rest of the book is completely blank. In a decision that now seems completely incomprehensible, the local authority had issued instructions less than a fortnight earlier that schools should carry on as normal when the warning sounded, unless there were other clear signs of danger. Unfortunately, it very quickly changed its mind. The very last entry in the school logbook says that the recent instructions were cancelled and the, sh the children should go straight to the shelters if there was an air raid warning. The very next day, the warning did sound, the children did go to the shelters, and it probably saved, saved their lives. I'd like to finish with this thought. When doing research, 
it is possible to get so caught up in your detective work that you lose sight of the fact that real people's lives lay behind what you're reading. I believe that it can't be emphasised enough that every damaged factory was someone's workplace, every flattened house was someone's home, and every fatality was a life brought to a premature end. The air raids on Britain killed thousands of people and changed the lives of millions. And these people are three of them. Th thank you for listening. This event was recorded on the 31st of August 2011 at the National Archives, Kew. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives. All rights reserved.